Well, I'm honored to be able to be here today and uh, uh, want to just uh, tell you that you might wonder where I'm going, and I hope you will see at the end that I actually have a point that I'm trying to get to. Um, I really felt like the songs, especially that last one that we sang, really fits with my message, so praise the Lord for that. Where I want to start is uh, kind of a little history of who I am, and for those of you who don't know me, uh, I was the associate pastor at Bethel Baptist here in Marquette for 23 years, just retired this past October, and I could go like that when I say retired because I'm still really busy, but uh, God, uh, God, God always has plans for us no matter what, right, and, and as we're going through our life. And I have a lot of people who over the years have asked me, well, how did you become an associate pastor? For those that don't know, prior to that, I had served on the Marquette Police Department for 27 years and uh, had uh, been a police officer. And for those of you uh, who have had a career where, you know, your, your job kind of becomes your identity, well, that's who I was. When I, when, when I would interact with people, connect with people, I was, most of all, I was a cop. And that was kind of my identity, uh, although it was interesting when I was on the police department um, uh, as a detective, uh, you know, people used to say that I was the religious guy down the hallway. So uh, I also had that aspect, and I'll tell you how that came about here in a moment. But I was raised, uh, born and raised in Ishpeming, Michigan, uh, by a non, in a non-Christian home. My family didn't ever go to church, you know, you hear about the the uh, Easter and, and Christmas uh, attenders, we weren't even that. Uh, my grandparents were, and I loved to go to church with my grandma and grandpa and be able to sit with them, but I went very rarely as a young, young person growing up. Um, I also got into a lot of trouble when I was young. I uh, did a lot of really crazy, stupid things, partially because I didn't have any real clear direction in my life. I was raised in a home where there was abuse that took place, and uh, uh, my father was uh, very disconnected from us and uh, didn't really support us. Um, when I uh, was in junior high, there was uh, a one day I was sitting in the back of the classroom, and we had blackboards in the front. And for you young people, we used blackboards many years ago. We had a blackboard in the front and one in the back, and I was sitting in the back row, and I looked back, and there was an eraser there. So I took the eraser, and I threw it up at the teacher who was standing up at the blackboard, and everybody in the whole room turned and looked at me, and I got sent down to the principal's office, and I spent every first hour in the afternoon at the principal's office, and never, nobody ever did anything about it, which I was on the school board here. I was a school liaison officer later on, and it's kind of like I look back like, how did that happen, <laughs> that I spent basically the whole year? So I stayed back in sixth grade, which was the second time I stayed back. So I kind of had an identity of myself as just being a dumb, troublemaking weirdo and uh, really a low self-esteem. And I grew up with that, you know, my whole life. When I was in the seventh grade, one day I was walking down the hall and uh, there was this teacher who was standing in the hallway and I don't know if any of the rest of you, if you've been in a public school, if you've had one of these teachers, but he was the kind of teacher, if he's standing over there, we always made sure we walked over on the other side. You didn't want to walk too close to the guy. So uh, I was walking on the other side down the hallway, and he hollers, Mr. Steed, come here. I thought, oh, now what did I do? I don't even know what I did this time, you know. 
because I was in trouble so much that I didn't even... And he calls me over and he says, hey, have you ever thought about playing basketball? I was about as tall in seventh grade as I am now. And uh, so I said, uh, nope, I never have. He said, well, I do an intramural program. I'd like to have you come and try it out. So I went and I really found that I loved basketball and I actually did fairly well at it. And uh, after that, I got involved with basketball, football, ran track and played baseball. And all of those things were just a whole different trajectory of my life and uh, helped me through school. Uh, because of that, I was able to finish. And, and uh, like I, I said earlier, you know, my, my view of myself, and it's only been within the last several years that I recognized that I wasn't as dumb as I thought I was. And that might sound kind of weird to you, but I'll hopefully be able to explain that to you in a moment here. But so I uh, ended up uh, finishing school with a, uh, just over a three-point uh, grade point average, which for somebody who had struggled in school earlier years, it was actually not that bad. And uh, uh, when I got done with school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know, and, and we really couldn't have afforded for me to go to college. So I kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. And I came to Marquette, and I got a job at what was the Cliff Dow Chemical Plant. It's no longer there. Uh, down the road here on Presque Isle. And uh, while I was working there, I got drafted into the Army. And so I went into the Army, and I, and, uh, I was down, and uh, they test you when you go in, and I, I tested uh, in, into something, and I ended up um, being a, a clerical worker. And uh, after I got done, I was on orders for Vietnam. My wife and I, not my wife, uh, she couldn't be here today because she had... Uh, stuff she had to do at church at Bethel, but anyway, so she uh, she and I got married, and moved. You know, I was in Indianapolis. She came down there with me, and my orders got changed, and I ended up at the Pentagon, and uh, so I spent the next two and a half years at the Pentagon, uh, where I worked, and um, and part of what I want to explain to you, and you're going to see it a little bit later, a little bit clearer, I hope, but how God, even before I was a Christian, because I was not a Christian at this point. God was still, I believe, working in my life and my heart and drawing me to something. So um, I applied, uh, while I was close to getting out of the Army, I applied for a job uh, here at the Marquette Police Department. And uh, so I, I had to come over. I came over for an interview. Uh, they offered me the job, and so I got out of the Army and I came to work here. And after I was here for a while, I found out that the Marquette, city of Marquette had applied for a grant from the federal government to hire somebody getting out of the military right around the same time that I sent my application in there for, uh, for a job with the police department. So uh, while I was on the police department, I came up through the ranks, and uh, when I retired, I was a detective captain. I was second highest on the police department. And that's part of what I was saying about, you know, my self-image as a young person was I'm not very smart, I'm dumb, you know, I'm a, I'm a troublemaker, I'm all kinds of, of other things, and yet God was working in my heart and life. So while I was here on the police department, uh, I actually lived just up here on 4th Street. Um, we were renting a house up there, and we were, uh, had developed a good friendship with people who lived across the street who went to Bethel Baptist Church. And uh, we would, they had a child who was born just a few days different than our youngest son. And so we, you know, we were good friends and we would get together and we would ride bikes together. And, and I, I kind of, 
I call it, you know, I investigated my way into salvation, and I, I do that, you know, because really it's the Holy Spirit. But as we were riding bikes one day, I'm, I'm asking this guy who was a friend of mine, I'm saying, well, where do you go to church? And he, oh, I go to Bethel Baptist. And, you know, like, well, why do you go to church? What, what's, you know, what's that all about? I don't understand. Why, why bother going to church, you know? And so he's talking to me about that and, you know, the, the fellowship and the connections and all of the different things that, with the church. And then I said, well, tell me about this God that you guys worship. I don't know anything about this God. I, I just, I, I, you know, you talk about God, but I don't even, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I, and, and he just kind of answered questions. And he was just telling me about, you know, God, you know, created the world. God loves us. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And, and uh, you know, he, he died for us while we were yet sinners. And I'm looking at myself, I'm like, oh yeah, chief of sinners right here, you know. And, uh, and so I, I really, I, I had no idea, you know, that it was God who was working. But that evening, I went home after this conversation and I knelt at, at the end of my bed and I said, God, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you, but I want to know more. Please help me to learn more about you. And my point of all of that is he wasn't sharing with me a gospel message, but he was answering questions. You know what? All of us can answer questions if God has, has impacted your life in some way. And so I look at that and I think about how God was working in my heart and life. And so we started attending church and, and, and uh, getting involved there at Bethel. And um, during the, the course of time, you know, um, I, it, it was actually kind of God's awesome humor, I, I think. So, you know, at one point they, they came, and I was a school liaison officer for a while, so for five years. And there was two groups of, of kids that I just hated working with at the, the schools. One was fourth graders, and the other were seventh graders. And the reason for that is, if you think about it, fourth graders are like the next oldest to being, and the seventh graders are next to the next oldest to being the oldest in the school, right? And so they all had attitudes, right? So God, in his amazing humor <laughs> and wisdom, they came to me one day and they said, uh, we'd like you to teach a Sunday school class. We're, we're just starting a new Sunday school class. It's going to be for fourth and fifth grade boys. Fourth grade boys, come on. So I taught the fourth grade boys. You know what? I love fourth graders. God changed my heart and my attitude toward that. So then, a few years later, they came and said, we need a, somebody to teach junior high. That means I have to teach seventh graders. Come on, I don't, I learned to love seventh graders as much as I love all of the other ones. And, and it's, again, it's one of those things where God's humor was so amazing. So here's how I became a pastor. So I had been at the church for uh, about 26 years at this point, and um, I had no inclination. I mean, I couldn't think of being anything but a policeman for 26 years. In the 27th year, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I couldn't understand it. I mean, I go from loving what I'm doing to hating being there. And the chief of police who was over me, he and I were, were best friends. You know, we, we, besides working together, we would do things together, you know, our wives, and, and, and we would just get together and have, you know, good time together. And so, it, and yet there were times when I was like, I was so angry with him 
about stuff that he had done, the way he treated employees or whatever else. And then I was upset because of the way the clerks were not handling people who came to the front. And I was upset with the other detectives who didn't do this or didn't do that. And it was like, it was driving me crazy. And it's like there was a switch. And I didn't understand it at the time. I understand it now, but I didn't at the time. There was a switch being flipped. And I actually applied for a job with the state of Michigan. They, they had separated the DNR and the DEQ, and the DEQ was looking for an investigator for the UP. So I applied for the job. I went downstate, had the interview. I came out of that interview. I told my wife, I wouldn't hire me after that interview. She said, why? I said, well, and I told them, if you hire me, I'm, only, I'm applying for a job to you know, work in the UP, not in the lower Michigan. I want, don't want to spend all of my time down there. And uh, my, wife, my, my daughter-in-law, our oldest uh, son's wife, was expecting our first grandchild. I said, I will be there for that. You know, uh, you know, so I'm telling them things that you, know, you don't do at a job interview, right? And so I, uh, I, anyway, I, I came away from that. And uh, that was on a, on a weekend. On the following week, I get a phone call at my office at the police department offering me the job. And it's like... 50000 a year, plus benefits, plus a vehicle, you know, it sounds really good. And I just, I prayed about it. I talked to my wife about it. My, my two sons says, Dad, you're crazy if you turn that down. How can you turn down something like that? Because it just doesn't feel right. I don't know why. I can't explain it to you. Shortly after that, I was at the church one day. I was the elder chairman at that time, and uh, I would meet with our senior pastor, and plan the elder board meeting. So I was there to do that. And this never happens. So he had somebody in his office. My wife was the church secretary. She's on a long distance phone call. So I'm out in the hallway twiddling my thumbs, you know, walking around. And we had our budget up on the bulletin board. And on that budget was uh, a, a new line that we created a position for a pastoral internship. And, and I was looking at that. And when I got to that line, it was like in my spirit, I heard God say, this is for you. And it's like, I'm a cop. You know, and I just walked away from it. Seriously. It's like, so the next, on the next Sunday then when I'm in church, I just totally avoided that. You know, I walked, you know, I didn't want to be looking at that. About a week or two after that, I was back in. Uh, again, we were going to have a meeting. And I'm back in, and they were both busy again. And it's like, this never happens. What's going on here? And I'm standing out in the hallway, and I'm like, there's the budget over there. So I'm doing one of these numbers. You know, I'm looking around, doing everything. And, and all of a sudden, I just kind of glanced over that way, and it was like the letters came off the page saying, this is for you. It's like, okay. I know I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. I think God is speaking to me right now. God is calling me into this. And so I went in, and I said something to our senior pastor, and I told him about the previous time and what happened, and he said, oh, I had you in mind for that from the beginning. His name is Bob. I said, Bob, what are you talking about? I'm a cop. He said, Hank, you're already doing pastoral ministry things. I said, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor. He said, well, let's pray about it. So we brought my wife in. The three of us prayed. We took it to our church elders and you know, because I said, okay, you know, I believe God is in this and he's calling me. So we took it to our elders and, and the elders unanimously agreed and, and recommended me to the church. And I always say in a Baptist church, you never get a 100% vote. Guess what? 100% vote <laughs> in support of that. But here's, 
here's, here's where I was going with all of that. Today I want us to look at Acts chapter 3 and 4, just a few verses in each. And I want you to see David, I'm sorry, uh, Peter and John are before uh, are, are being brought before the Sanhedrin and, and being questioned before the council. And they have an opportunity there to share the gospel. And one of the things that we're going to read is that they were unschooled and ordinary people. I'm unschooled. I'm ordinary. But God chose to use me in spite of who I was and who I oftentimes still today consider myself to be. My hope and challenge is with you as we read these scriptures that you will see that you also are somebody that God can use and, and will if you open your heart and life to him. So if you would, would you turn, turn with me to chapter 3 of of Acts. We're just going to look at a, a few verses. Um, and I'm going to start with um, there was a man who was crippled who was uh, laying on the side of the road and they come by and Peter and John uh, looked at him and he was asking them for money, right? If you remember these verses, the he, 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 that's how he, he made his living. He couldn't work. He was crippled, and so he was asking them for money. And they said to him, uh, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, in verse 5. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And uh, verse, I'm um, sorry, I'll keep going. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, can't imagine that. When I read that, it's like only God could achieve that, right? He's crippled, he can't even stand, and now he's leaping in the air. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, they had just done what I believe that the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. This man was laying there on the side of the road. There was no way that he could get up. There was no way that he could go out and work and make a living. If you think about back then, you know, they didn't have braces. They didn't have, you know, wheelchairs or any way for him to get around. He was stuck there on the ground waiting for help and and they they offer him what they had and what they had wasn't money what they had was healing and it came from god and and, and so that's why it's so important that that they say you know we don't have money we don't have you know anything for you but in the name of jesus get up and walk they healed him but god the holy spirit is the one who had actually done the healing right they they they, they helped him and uh, because of that, Peter and John are called before the council, and uh, because they were talking about Jesus, the council wanted to shut them up. They 
they're kind of in a tough spot here because everybody had seen this miracle, right? Uh, this person who was laying there, everybody had seen for probably for years, laying there asking for money, and they had no way of refuting that. So what are they going to do? They're going to tell Peter and John, just shut up, quit talking about that Jesus. And it would have been very easy. I, I was reading a commentary on this. It would have been very easy for them at that point in time to have just said, well, uh, okay, you know, we, we, won't, we won't talk about it anymore. We'll just, we'll just take the credit for it, you know. And there are people today who would, who would do that, just take all the credit. But instead, they say, no, we, we can't do that. So let's, let's keep looking here. Um, and, and we're going to go down to uh, verse 5 of chapter 4. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John the, and Alexander and all who were of the highly priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. That was kind of a wimpy response, wasn't it? I mean... Can you imagine? You're, you're standing before somebody who probably can put you in prison, lock you up, and you'll be forgotten forever. And they stand up there, and not only do they glorify Jesus by saying, he's the one who healed, but what do they say? And you're the ones who crucified him. You're the ones that killed him. And that's pretty strong and very powerful message that they bring. And this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, that's an Old Testament uh, reference, right? The builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's, that's one of those sections of Scripture when you're reading through a section like this that you can almost kind of like get hung up with, with the healing, get hung up with their response, kind of just like almost gloss over that. But what is this saying? saying that there's an exclusive one way to heaven. Our society today says what? We're either all going to heaven or there is no heaven, right? They're saying there is one way to get to heaven. That's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work upon that cross. I, I, I think this is a, just such a, a strong, powerful, beautiful message to us. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name. There's no other way. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And here's the reason for my title. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's a message that I hope we will all 
pick up on and understand. We are the ones who people look at and they either choose to love Jesus because they see love in us or they will choose to reject Jesus because they want to get away from us because they can't stand us. I told you that when I was on the police department, I was known as the religious guy down the hallway. And people on the department knew that I had an open door policy. If you need somebody to talk to, come on down. Come on down to my office. And I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to visit with you and talk to you. And, and people would come down and, well, I'm, I've, you know, I've done this and I've got this going on or, you know, uh, my husband has left me or my wife has left me or this has happened or that's happened. And, and we would just sit and, and I wouldn't preach to them, but I would listen to them. And, and, and if I could give advice and suggestion, I would do that with them, but, I, but, I, but it was more just kind of being available to them. And, and so I, I always hoped that you know, people who saw that in me and, and, and experienced that with me, that they would see Jesus like, this verse, and, and be able to say, wow, you know, if that's what a religious guy is like, I want to be like that. Because sometimes people look at that, if they'd have come down and I say, well, you know, if you weren't doing this, you know, they'd walk out of there and, and you know, would basically would hate what I had to say. But, but instead, a number, and, and it was kind of surprising over the years how many people actually came and knocked on my door, can I talk to you? And they'd come in and it, it, they would talk to me about personal things. And, and what I'm getting at with that is that when we interact with people, sometimes we're not going to be as bold as, as Peter and John were. You know, I, even today, sometimes I, I'm not as bold with bringing something out as maybe I wish I would be. You know, anybody else ever experienced that where you kind of like, I wish I would have been more, you know, up front. But when I have opportunity, I just share, you know, what Christ has done in my life, how he has changed me, and hope that they will be able to understand that. But the boldness that Peter and John had perceived that they were uneducated common men, most of you in here probably, to be honest with you, are probably more educated than I am. God might have a plan for you. Are you open to whatever his plan is? Are you listening to hear what he has for you and wants from you? If God could use somebody like me, I had no, absolutely no training to become a pastor. But apparently God didn't care. He says, well, I'm going to use you instead. And there, are, there were times when, you know, uh, I would be asked to, to do or say something, and it's like, I'm not qualified for that, and, and yet God used me in times, and, and I'm not patting myself, I'm praising God, by the way, when I'm saying these things. It's only because the Holy Spirit was dwelling in me that I have been able to accomplish anything for him. Because if you go back to the old Hank Steed, before the... The, the, that bike ride and when I surrendered to Jesus, you go back to that person, you wouldn't necessarily even want to be around me. I wasn't the most pleasant, fun person to be with. And so God can change us and use us. Well, a couple of things from verse 13. First of all, they demonstrated boldness and courage. 
We're called today to demonstrate that same thing. It looks different for each of us, right? We all, we all have strengths and weaknesses, and, and it, it will look different from each of us. But when you're talking with somebody, maybe you're, you're here and Benny or, or Pastor John shares a message and, and you receive that and the Holy Spirit uses that and helps you, and, and someday you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings that back and you're able to share that. God can use those things. But we have to be open to receiving that. We have to be willing. We have to be bold enough to speak out. They also saw that they were unschooled and common. And like I said, that, that was me. And um, if, you, uh, if you are interacting with other people, you have opportunities to share whether you're trained in a theology group or whatever it might be. I appreciated the announcement earlier. Sounds like you guys are, are having some teaching and things like where there's opportunities to grow and mature. Take advantage of those. And, and young people who are here, I want to just encourage you with something. You know, in this world today, there are a lot of people who are out there who find ways to let us know that we don't measure up, that we're not the popular ones, we're not the, the good-looking ones, we're not the, the best athletes, we're not the, you know, the, the best singers, we're not the whatever it might be. The world wants to pound that into our heads and tell us, you don't measure up. But if God can take somebody like me and turn me around the way he did, and use me in ways that I would have never, ever in my whole life before expected to ever be used by God. If he can do that with me, he can do that with you. But you have to be receptive to listening and being willing to hear when God is calling you. You know that day when, when I told you, or those days when I was in the church and I was looking at that and I really was like, no, that's not me, I'm a cop. I could have continued with that. I could have actually rejected that and walked away and not allowed the Holy Spirit to use me and call me. In fact, one of the things when I was getting ready to retire, I was actually kind of shocked at this. I had a whole bunch of people coming to me. Who are we going to go to now? Who are we going to ask? Who are we going to talk to? And it's like, oh, what kind of a monster did I create here? You know, like, uh, but it was one of those things that, that God was using me in leadership there at the church in ways that helped other people who were trying to do things, and, and I was able to help them and, and, and work with them. But that's not, me. that's not because I'm so awesome. It's because God is. God was using me, and God used me in ways in, in, in which I had never, ever expected that would happen. When we read about John and Peter and what they said and what they did and the boldness and the courage, some of us think to ourselves, well, I could never do that. I'm one of those. I'm one of those. And I still look back and I say, why me, God? <laughs> what, you know, what did you see in me? I said earlier, and I shared with you a little bit, let me go back to how I viewed myself my whole life, including up until about two or three years ago. That's how long it took me, okay? 
When I was in the army, I went to work in the Pentagon. You know how few people actually get to go and work in the Pentagon? And I worked for a three-star general. And I would go to his house, and, and he kind of shot me, taught me what leadership was all about because he would, we'd have to bring reports to his house. And I would go there, and he would welcome me in, have me sit on the, uh, on the porch with him while he was reading the reports, and his wife would bring me out a can of pop, and I would drink it. And, and it was like I learned some things about leadership, but I also learned to be a gracious person and to try to understand other people and to help from him. He wasn't a Christian, I don't think, but he was just a very nice man. And then I came on the police department, and I was here, and, and I went up to, through the ranks, and I, like I said, I got to be a detective captain. Well, there's only two captains on the police department out of all of the people who were on the department. And I was one of those, and I look back, and it's like, wow, how did, how did I get up to that rank? Again, it's only because God was working in me and allowing me to impact and touch people's lives and to do some things. And then to get called in to a ministry that I honestly never felt qualified for. I never felt like I really measured up to be a pastor. But God used me. And I've heard from people who, who just have shared that they're grateful for my ministry. And again, I don't say that like patting myself because I don't take any credit for that. That was God. The Holy Spirit was working in me and using me to help people who needed help at that moment. I'm sharing all of this with you. Young people, don't listen to what other people are saying negative about you, but trust that God has a plan for you, and someday he may put you in a position where you're going to be totally surprised, but he's going to use you for his glory. You middle-aged people, don't give up and say, well, I'm always going to be this or that. God might have a different plan for you as he did for me. We never know ahead of time what it is that God might be doing in our hearts and lives. But God can use each and every one of you for his glory, even if it's just in the life of one other person that you connect with, that you help through a difficult situation. When you're up in the front leading songs and we're, we're singing praise to God, you're doing a ministry that impacts the people who are here. Many of us walk away after a service, after we've been singing. I don't know if any of the rest of you ever have this experience, but you're driving down the road or you're going someplace and all of a sudden some of those songs just kind of come to your brain, right? And you, or, or, or sometimes I find myself like on a, on a Monday or during the week, I'll wake up and I've got a song that we sang on Sunday going through my head. That's a ministry where God is using and impacting people's life for his glory. And, and those who are downstairs right now working with the children. They may impact one of those children in a way that they could never imagine. And God might use that child. Let me end with this. As an unschooled, ordinary man, I declare to you today that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Therefore, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. The name is Jesus Christ. In order for us to receive eternal life, we must believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he brought 
salvation to us by leaving heaven, which is an overwhelming thought, leaving heaven, coming here, living as a man, being abused, hung on that cross, bleeding and dying, receiving your sins in mine that were poured out upon him as he hung on that cross. Think about that one. Your sins. Did you ever have a thought today that was a sinful thought? That was poured out on Jesus Christ when he hung on that cross. But he left heaven to come to here for you and for me to bring us salvation that we don't deserve because God so loved the world that he sent his son for every one of you and for me here in this place. Can I close this portion with a prayer, please? Would you join me? Lord God, I'm grateful for this church and for the wonderful people here and the wonderful relationship that I have with so many. Lord, I'm grateful for Pastor John and his family and just the uh, good friendship that we have and for Benny and his family as he's uh, coming on board here. And Lord, just as the church is going through this uh, transition, we pray that through it all that you would call the right people into the right positions to support and to help the leadership, uh, to give leadership and to, Lord, uh, bless the congregation here, to help each and every one to grow and mature in their faith and their trust in you. Help us all, Lord, to be like Peter and John who will stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and he is the only one who promises and gives us eternal life. Help us to not be shy and bashful, but to be bold and courageous in sharing, regardless of what our educational status is. Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses for you, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.